Hi, this is David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know, Josh and I have a lot of fun doing this podcast, and we also try to keep it very informational with newsmaker interviews, and, and we try to do our research, too, before we get on here and pontificate. I hope that you find the podcast informative and entertaining. So if you do, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to rate us, subscribe to us, and review us on your favorite podcasting platform, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever it is you're using to listen to us. Please do that. That will help us to move up in the rankings and also to uh, get more people to tune in. So if you're a fan of Alabama politics this week, I hope you'll do that for us. Thanks. Seeing people wearing shirts that saying six million wasn't enough, meaning six million Jews killed in the Holocaust. You know, seeing people there carrying the, the Confederate flag, you know, that really shook me as it did. I know, you know, millions of, of people throughout the country to see how overtly, how overt the, the, the discrimination and racism still is. And, and right, even, you know, with Charlottesville um, and that being, you know, in the news again recently. And then just the numbers don't lie. I, I know there are some people in our country who, who don't really <laughs> look at the facts, but, but the FBI does every year, you know, the, the hate crime statistics and attacks on, on, you know, Jewish people and on racial minorities has increased. Welcome in, boys and girls. Another fine week of your favorite Alabama politics podcast. It's Alabama politics this week. Um, and uh, I am Josh Moon. And thank God I am not by myself talking into the abyss uh, because the other person that normally does this with me and left yes. me all alone is back. Yeah, I'm back. Is. I'm back. I'm yes. back. I, well, you know, I, I debate. person. Yes. Yeah. I'm here. I'm here. I I debated really whether or not it would be worth trying to pull it off, uh, but I just didn't know what my schedule was going to be uh, with this client, and I just thought, ah, it's probably just best that I pass. So I listened to the podcast. It was a good podcast. Good, no, it good was conversation. No, it was. It was, it, was it was. It was okay. The, the yeah, Barry did a great job. Barry Ragsdale, who was on with us, did a great job. And uh, yeah. but you know, it's it's. It's so hard for me to change. I, I am the worst person in the world about change and stuff. And so, so for me to go from this, you know, this back and forth that we have, uh, yeah. which you know, is, I like to think of as basically a conversation that we have that other people listen to, mm. um, uh, and uh, you know, to just kind of talk into nobody responding, it's just, it's you know, I was just <laughs> rambling. And at a point, I would start rambling. I would just think, what the hell are you even talking about? You know, <laughs> which asked me what what. You you think most of the time, what the hell is he even talking about? Right. Uh, yeah, that's it's so it was terrible. Uh, all right, so you are back, and yes. so we've got things that we can talk about. So, I, I have a, a, a plethora of topics that we have mm -hmm. discussed that we're going to talk about, but. So would we like to go go first with our anti-vaccine mandate uh, that our mandate against the mandate um, or the infrastructure bill or another Alabamian being arrested? Uh, or would you like for me to tell you about my Chipotle experience the other night? Well, I, I think what I'd like is let's let's talk about 
just for a moment, Veterans Day. And then oh, let's talk Veterans about. Day. I forgot about Veterans Day. Yes, yes. Yeah, and then let's talk about your Chipotle experience after that. In, in order of importance. Yes, okay. <laughs> you know, Veterans Day means, uh, has come to mean more to me, Josh, than I have to admit than it used to. And that's because um, I've, I've really come to grips with the fact that, um, you know, uh, not only did my father serve, but mm-hmm. uh, there are other men that matter to me in my life who have served. And there's mm-hmm. some women I know who have served as well. And so uh, I, I think it's important, even though, you know, I've often been at odds with our use of troops, our foreign policy mm-hmm. and our use mm-hmm. of troops. I have I, I have grown and learned how to distinguish between the soldiers and the troops and the sailors and the Marines and all the rest and the policy makers, the right. war makers, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, and so I honor our veterans, even if I dishonor some of our military actions, you know, through the, yeah. through the years. I, I understand that position fully. Um, I, I am kind of the same way. My father was as a Vietnam veteran um, and, uh, you know, never never really talked about it. Um, you mm-hmm. know, he, he told me a, a few things about, uh, about being there and, uh, and kind of what went on. But, um, otherwise, um, you know, it's, uh, it's just, you know, that's something he did, uh, and, and got it out of the way and, and moved on with life. And, um, uh, but, you know, I've also worked with uh, a number of veterans on, on stories about things, uh, mainly around that, the VA scandal that went on a few years ago and some of the horrors that were taking place in, in our state, uh, with, mm-hmm. with VA care and, uh, talked to, uh, uh a lot of, of veterans about, you know, what was going on and, and how they were being mistreated. And, and it is one of the, I think it's one of the biggest shames of this country is that mm-hmm. uh, the way we so casually and cavalierly in a lot of uh, instances take things that we promised those guys uh, from them uh, after they after they've gone and done their part we we kind of uh, hold back on the promises that we made about education about health care about uh, you know a number of different things that we're always looking you know the, the pay that they receive the benefits that they receive we're always looking for a way to cut that uh, mm-hmm. instead of the things that go out to to major corporations and industry and stuff we always seem to find a way to cut it from the veterans and uh, to me it's a it's a shame I you know I don't think there's any veteran that ought to pay a dime for college. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think that there's any veteran that ought to pay a dime for health care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and I'll you know, I, I've had other people, uh, Democrats, uh, you know, argue me and, and get angry, really angry with me over those mm. over those positions. And, uh, you know, I, I don't care, really. I, that's what I think. And, I, you know, if uh, you know, if I had gone and, and done that that fight, uh, then, you know, I think that uh that's what I would expect. And I, I don't think that it's a, a large price at all to pay for somebody. Um, I, I think that it's, uh, I think it's something that we ought to do. I think they ought to get better loans. I think they ought to have, I mean, you know, there ought to be incentives for going over and putting your life at risk for, for, you know, protecting the freedoms and stuff. And so I, I do have a lot of respect for those guys. I know it's a, probably a big surprise for people to, to learn that I'm a pro military guy. Um, and I hate, uh, I hate, 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 that it has become uh, this thing where if you don't want guys to go over to war, you're somehow anti-military. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that if you take a position like I do, that they should be uh, a method of last resort, that our last resort to every situation should be putting the, our people at risk, uh, that somehow I'm, I'm anti-military for that, which I, in my mind, think I'm exactly the opposite. I don't the, want yeah. the guy yeah. that lives down the street from me to risk his life over some bullshit. All right. right. And that's right. that's how I see it. Man, I'm with you 100% on that. I'm with you 100%. It seems to me the pro-military position is, you know, fund our fund our troops adequately, you know, provide them with the resources they need, but use them as a very last resort. We should yes. not be eager to send any man or woman into battle. We should yeah. not. Yeah, because and- the far too often we know, far too often uh, the, uh, the, the, the problems that they can come back with. I mean, I, I tell you what, we should absolutely real brief. And I know this is, this just popped into my head. So forgive me because we didn't uh, talk about this before going, uh, uh starting yeah. the podcast, but, but I think about somebody like Crystal Raglan mm-hmm. who was killed back in 2017, yes. served, served our nation, putting on the uniform comes back, according to her family, with PTSD and in a very brief encounter with Huntsville police, she shot and killed. Yeah. You know, I mean, should not have happened. Her yeah. death should not have happened. Uh, not just because uh, she's a military veteran, but I'd say especially because of that. You know, yes. I mean, it shouldn't have happened to anybody, but especially mm-hmm. not somebody who's a military veteran. And I think this is this is one of the the sins of our nation that that we do not provide not only the kinds of support you were talking about, Josh, mm-hmm. but also just basic fundamental care yeah. for people that are coming out of war zones and battles. And then we expect them to integrate seamlessly into regular life. Some yeah. do, mm-hmm. but many don't. No. And even those that do, I think from what in my experience, and I'm talking about now family members and even uh, people I know outside of my family, they come with scars. Mm-hmm. They come with scars. Yeah. It's so, uh, you know, one of uh, one of my one of my best friends. Um mm-hmm. Was is a guy that uh, is still still in the military. Was um, um, is um, I mean, just uh, he lived with us and our family for for a long time. And mm. uh, growing up, and uh, he went over, and uh, I mean, he's been over on some on several tours. I mean, but you know, there was there there are problems that come with being a guy who is essentially uh, his his job uh, there for many years was a, a forward observer. Uh, which is essentially the guy that goes into the house first uh, uh, to find the terrorist and uh, and led the teams into those places. And he's told me a lot of stories about, you know, about being pinned down uh, from you know, snipers and uh, mm. about uh, uh, young children being strapped with explosives. And, mm. uh, you know, you don't you don't come back from a place and see those things and then just seamlessly integrate yourself back into this this society that we have here. And um our our homelessness among the veteran uh, population, our mental health care among those uh, that group, which is uh, they often go hand in hand, uh, the homelessness with yep. the mental health issues. Yep. Um, it is it, it's an it's atrocious. It, it is. is. It, it should shame the hell out of everybody because we know it's happening. 
Uh, we've turned a blind eye to it because mental health was such a had such a stigma with it for so long. Um, and we we but we know we know what we did to those people yeah. because we all did it. We all we all agreed to this system and agreed to these people that, that we elected. Uh, they sent them over there and we we all, t- you know, watched you know, whatever TV show that, you know, or, or singing competitions or survivor or whatever the hell we're watching <laughs> at night instead, while they were over there doing, you know, the things that, yeah. that we, we sent them to do. And then they came back and we decided, Oh, Oh, that, that messed you up. Okay. Well, we're going to just ignore that. All right. And continue mm-hmm. watching our, our stuff here. And we, we've devoted billions of dollars to everything else under the sun Except, and we can't find the money to to have an adequate mental health care program for those folks, and an adequate system to make sure that they don't fall through the cracks and end up on the streets. And it's a, it should shame the hell out of everybody. It really and should. You th- and you're absolutely right. And when you consider also, Josh, that our country allocated billions of dollars to private corporations in mm-hmm. conjunction with wars, yeah, billions of dollars. You know, Halliburton and others, mm-hmm. you know, uh, especially during the Iraq uh, uh, wars. And yet. We don't seem to be able to come up with adequate funding to take care of our veterans yeah. and to make sure that they're getting the proper hospitalization and health care and the other kinds of supports that they need. It is a crime. It's a sin. It's a damn shame. And we ought to be we ought to be ashamed of ourselves as yeah. a nation that claims to be so patriotic and all of this yeah. other stuff. Yeah. It's hypocrisy. It's just oh, it is. it's a jarring form of yeah. hypocrisy. It is, um, you know, and, and, and it's it, because it's easy. It's easy to, to, to tie a ribbon around a tree. It's easy to, you know, to slap a, a flag sticker on the back of your car. Um, but it, it's harder to do the things that, that matter to that you know, to those p- folks. And I mean, look, you can, you, you, it's nice to show patriotism. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I love the country myself. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think it is, you know, the, the greatest country in, in the world. I do think that, I mean, it's, uh, it has its flaws. I mean, mm-hmm. just because you think that it has flaws does not mean that you don't think it's the greatest. And, mm-hmm. uh, but I think that there, uh, there are ways that we can better, Everything that we do, and one of the things that we need to do a lot better is, is take care of those guys that that take care of the country. Amen. Um, and you know, I, I just to me, look to me, if we can pay for the health care and the homes and the cars and uh, and everything else of these jackasses that we send to Washington D.C. every day, then we ought to be able to pay for the the, the health care and everything else and provide them with quality services uh, every day, just the same as as our congressmen uh, and senators and. Everything everybody uh, receive that. I don't think that's too much to ask. So, all right. Now then to something important, my Chipotle visit. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't talk about this anytime. I, we didn't have to follow it after the veterans. It seems so petty now. Uh, <laughs> seems so really petty. Oh, oh, listen, I was over here pinned down by snipers, but please tell me how they got your order wrong. Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh so that's what happened. That's what we're going to talk oh, about, that they got oh, your order so, wrong. So look, so look. All right, so the other night, 
We uh we we've been out doing whatever uh, you know that what we do. We've been actually been to my daughter's. Uh, she had a little. She's in the playhouse over in uh, in Madison. Uh, she's part of the little theater group there. And oh, it's, nice. it's three years. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, she's. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was very cute. Uh, they do a good job, and and they're looking for support right now because they're trying to build a new building. So if you're out there and you want to support something, look those guys up and, and give them some support uh, because they do. They really do a good job. But uh, so anyway, we come back uh, from this. Um, and, uh, you know, we were going to do one thing, we were going to do another, you know, and this one thing led to another. And finally it was, hey, look, I'm just going to go get some Chipotle. All right. I, I just, I, it's 730. I'm starving. It's right down the road. Uh, I'll run and grab that. And they have at Chipotle now this brisket bowl. Uh, brisket. They have actual, and it's actually not bad. It's, it's flavored pretty well. I like it. I like whatever they're using on that. It's pretty good stuff. So I'll order this. And I go to Chipotle and pick it up and, you know, drive, drive all the way back home, sit down at the table, open it up. And this great bowl has no brisket in the brisket bowl. The key ingredient. Yeah. The key ingredient in a brisket bowl is brisket. Okay. So, man, I, at this point. So, wait, before you, I got to ask one question. Okay. The brisket was missing. So, you mean there was no meat in the bowl at all? There was no meat whatsoever in the bowl. No. So it was basically my kind of food. It was, yeah, it, it, was, was it was rice, beans, uh, some cheese and uh, sour cream. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, it was in there. Well, vegetarian. OK. Yeah. OK. Yeah. yeah. So. I'm I'm upset. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, yeah. I, 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 I'm not I, I'm not a person that just goes off on people at, at you know, at restaurants and poor workers. My, mistakes happen. Mistakes mm-hmm. happen. And and so I'm not going to do that. All right. I'm not going to tell you that I'm going to do that. And I'm, cause I'm not. I know that I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I'm being bang my fist on the in the truck or whatever, but I'm not I'm not going off on somebody. OK, I'm just not going to do it. Uh, I don't know what's going on in their life. You know, mm-hmm. that's fine. OK. All right. So. I, you can't call anybody either, okay? You can't call anybody on the phone right. because it's all an automated system, and you got to go through the, the the app and the whole. So I, I put the thing on there and tell you know on the on the website and say, listen, there there's no meat in the bowl. There's no meat in the bowl, uh, and so I drive <laughs> myself all the way back to the Chipotle, pull through, <laughs> mm-hmm. pull th- pull up to the window. I swear to God, this every word that I'm about to tell you is true. And I, okay. uh, the lady comes to the window. She says, uh, yeah, can I help you? And I said, uh, you just gave me a brisket bowl with no brisket. <laughs> and she says, I swear to God, this is 100% accurate. She says to me, yeah, we're out of brisket. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What? <laughs> <laughs> They sold you a brisket bowl knowing they had no brisket? Yeah, 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 yeah. we didn't have any brisket. Oh. I I mean, I can't even, you know, I can't even be mad. I mean, it's just a, yeah. Oh, I I can be mad. (laughs) You sold me, you charged me for a brisket bowl with no brisket. Uh, I'd be mad as heck about that. Yeah, so then we just, uh, she just said, well, you know. What meat would you like? And so they they made me a chicken bowl. So and yeah, we uh. it just uh, yeah, man, it's uh, that's that's that so is. they made they made you a chicken bowl for free. Well, I mean, I've already paid for the brisket bowl at this point. So yeah, so they so they gave you another bowl. They, they didn't take the bowl. bowl back and add chicken no. to it. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I didn't have the bowl with me. I was no, so angry okay. when I left the house. I just left. <laughs> Yeah, I bet I you mean, were. 
Yeah. So angry, man. I was just irrationally angry about this, about this Chipotle sh- shenanigans. Well, that was- I, I, I get it, though. I mean, you, you know, we know how it is when you, you sit down, you're ready to eat your meal, you're anticipating it. You're mm-hmm. salivating, you know, Pav, you know, it's a Pavlovian thing or whatever. And you sit down and then it's not what you're expecting it to be. Everybody can relate to that frustration. Yeah. Oh, but, it's uh, listen, it's yeah. uh, it's uh, it was it was exactly that because I was hungry at this point mm-hmm. because uh, the person who I'm related to by marriage who lives at my mm-hmm. house mm-hmm. Um, is um, uh, she's already eaten. You know, she's mm-hmm. fine. She's on the couch. We're watching TV. She, you know, it's uh, we're, we're sitting. Right, so I'm sitting down there. We're going to we're going to watch a TV show. I'm going to eat my brisket bowl, you know, and it's mess mm-hmm. ruined the whole night. Right, yeah. I couldn't even watch the TV show. I hear you. I yeah. Hear you. Yeah. So you. listen, uh, me and veterans, same problems. Same problems. <laughs> <laughs> and with that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, it's uh it's it's good. All right. So look, before let's, let's actually do some some politics here, I guess. Yeah. Um our, our anti-vax bill. Uh, our anti-vax mandate bill. Sorry, let me put that right. Uh, so we have uh, we have passed a uh, a vaccine mandate mandate, uh, which mandates that there should be no mandates. Um, and we did that last week, and this uh, upset the business community to no end because they were completely against this. Because essentially, what this does is attempts to undercut uh, the federal. Rule. It's not really a mandate from from Joe Biden. It's it's a rule there that says either you have to be vaccinated, or you have to take weekly COVID tests uh, if you are a, uh, an employee with federal contracts with more than a hundred employees, which affects a lot of people in the state of Alabama, well, especially in the Huntsville area where we mm-hmm. have a lot of defense contractors. Mm-hmm. So they decided what they would do is pass this anti-mandate bill that basically says you cannot fire one of these people, if they present to you a medical or religious exemption and you cannot investigate that medical or religious exemption, <laughs> you cannot question that medical or religious exemption. You just have to accept it at face value. And if you don't believe that it's valid, then you have to then uh, contact the Department of Labor uh, and ask them to hold a hearing about this. Uh, mm. And if you want to fire that person because you believe that person is reckless and is going to, it's it cause everybody in your company to get sick or uh, is going to miss several days himself because he's been sick. Um, then you have, if you fire that person, that person has a right. Listen to this. Listen, I swear to God, listen, mm. I don't think a lot of people know this is in there. That person has a right to, uh, appeal that to the Department of Labor. And then if the Department hmm. of Labor still sides with the employer, that person has the right to appeal that to an administrative law judge. So, and here's the key. During this entire time, the employer is required to pay this employee his full salary and benefits as mm. this goes on for months at a time mm. and cannot they cannot stop the payments for anything. So basically, they're going to have to pay two people. This is the largest tax on business that maybe has ever been imposed in this state. They're going to have to pay two people plus legal fees out yes. the wazoo. And I would assume uh, 
that if that they would also bear the responsibility for the legal fees of the employee if the employee wins. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is, uh, as has been say, stated by uh, our good friend, uh, Representative Anthony Daniels and others, this is one of the most anti-business pieces of legislation mm-hmm. that has passed through this uh, Republican-dominated legislature. And it's yeah. really astounding. That they would put this kind of burden on business, especially knowing that most businesses are of the mind that uh, vaccines actually are good for business. Mm-hmm. So it's really it's really astounding. Well, look, you know, here's the thing, too, is, is we, we, a lot of people have gotten caught up in this uh uh, personal rights and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I have the right not to do this or I have the right not to do that. Um, and, and, you know, you do. You do have the right not to take the vaccine. Mm-hmm. But, but that, uh, that company has the right not to employ your unvaccinated ass, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and if, you, if you're told this, I just, what I've told people a lot is this. Replace the word COVID with smallpox. Mm-hmm. And if you told people, I'm not getting that damn smallpox vaccine. If I get smallpox, I'll get over it. It'll be fine. You know, mm-hmm. if you told people that and somebody fired you for it, everybody would go, well, yeah, you're going to give them smallpox. You crazy? You know, yeah. I, I mean, it's just, I mean, and go, you know, less than, less than, you know, well, whooping cough or whatever the hell else is out there. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. everybody would be like, well, why the hell wouldn't you just take the vaccine? You know, and it's just, that's what in our, Civilized society, we have determined that there needs to be some rules uh, that that we follow to protect the greater good of the society and protect the people within the society. And one of them is that we have vaccines and that they are mandated and they are, in fact, mandated. The only difference between the covid mandate and all the other ones is that we started out as children taking those right. vaccines. And that's the that's the only difference is, mm-hmm. is that we started out as children. And so we didn't really have a choice because our parents dropped us off because there ain't no way in hell they were homeschooling us. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, <laughs> hell, I mean, you're going to, you're going to school, buddy. Uh, right. And so, you know, you got to have your blue card, baby. And uh, uh, so here we are. And we don't think anything at all about getting this or, you know, if we scratch, you know, step on a nail, we run up and get a tetanus shot. Nobody thinks anything about these things. And yet, if you go back and research all of this stuff, there were there were the same questions and the same processes. And in a lot of cases, many of those vaccines started out far more dangerous with far more side effects than what this one has. Hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, and. Um, the polio vaccine. I mean, my God, go back and read what was going on then and, and how what happened when they had a mistake with some of the polio vaccines uh, and how many people that injured and killed, uh, you know, with that. And imagine what would happen now if that if that took place, God forbid, yeah. uh, you know, and. But we we that's the way we overcame these things. And it's the reason why people live to very old age now. Um, I, I just it's so idiotic, man. It really is. Well, the, the, to me, the whole uh, anti-mandate movement is really vacuous because of this simple point that you've already, I think, made pretty clearly, but I'll just highlight it just for good measure. And that is we already live in a country where there are, there are a plethora of mandates. 
mm-hmm. you know, from the vaccines that our children have to get to the fact that, you know, uh, you, there are other sorts of laws that prohibit behaviors, that demand certain kinds of behaviors. You know, I would argue that even taxation is a mandate. You know, the fact mm-hmm. that we pay taxes, you got to pay taxes. If you yeah. don't, you're penalized, mm-hmm. you know, and that's it. And that's at multiple levels of government. Yeah. So put your seatbelt on. Don't go over 55. I mean, all of them, you, you know? know? Yeah. So the idea that this is somehow uniquely evil, you know, is, is you know, if somebody could prove that, if somebody yeah. had concrete evidence that this was uniquely evil, distinctly different from, you know, let's not, let's, let's push all the other mandates aside and let's just focus on vaccines. If somebody could just, could prove that this, this vaccine is distinctly different, mm-hmm. more dangerous, more onerous than other vaccines, then I would say, okay, but nobody's <laughs> yeah. come up with that kind of well, proof. Well, what, uh, what gets me is, it's, it's kind of, and it goes along with what you're saying is, what there's all this screaming and yelling about things, and everybody's mm-hmm. really, really angry about this. But I, I don't understand why. Why? I mean, what do you think these other people are doing? You know, I mean, what what is the end game of the doctors and scientists here? Is it just a, in a few years they can go, ha ha, fooled you? You shouldn't have taken that vaccine, but you did. Ha ha ha. I mean, you know what I mean? What mm-hmm. what is I mean, we we paid for a lot of this research as taxpayers. We paid for the production of these things as taxpayers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vaccines are free, quote unquote, even though you know we paid for them through through tax dollars mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so what what is what's what's the goal? I, I, I mean, why are you why are you so mad at these people? That I mean, what do you think? They're it's like the 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 guys that wanted the kids to wear masks at school because it would cut down on the transmission of the virus. Why, what do you think their goal was? Just to fool your kids into doing this? I mean, is it? I, I never understood what they believe the end game to be. The end game of Fauci. The end game of all these people. What is? What's their goal in all of this? I don't. It doesn't make any sense unless there is a villain with a plan on the other side, right. and there's no villain on the other side. Yeah. I, I yeah. Just, it's just. I don't know. It's. I, I think. I think we. Uh, it's a byproduct of the times that we live in. You know, it's probably been a couple decades in the making when you start thinking about some of the uh, and I know a lot of people disparage her for saying this, but I think Hillary Clinton was right when she talked about the vast right wing conspiracy. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's true that we have uh, on the other side, which is that there's been this sort of cultivation uh, in our political, the political part of our society that has created such a huge distrust and of government and of authority. And while I think some of that is healthy, in fact, I think a lot of it is healthy, quite mm-hmm. frankly, but, but it's gone to really cartoonish levels. I mean, yeah. you start, you know, you start thinking about, <clears throat> you know, it was one thing I think when, you know, and I'll just use this as an example, when, you know, the late Rush Limbaugh used to criticize feminists and call them feminazis and crazy mm-hmm. stuff like that, offensive things like that. You know, that was one that was one thing. That was one form of criticism. But now what we've got is people that are just making up stuff wholesale out of cloth. You know, yep. um, the QAnon conspiracy, no foundation for that. The the pedophile pizza 
uh, yeah. parlor conspiracy. Yeah. There's no foundation for that. You know, and and now, you know, we live in an age where there are actually a significant percentage of Republicans who believe that President Trump uh, was, um, you know, that he was cheated out of the election, even though the only the only the only fact, if you want to say, if you want to call it a fact, which I don't, that can be put on the table is that Trump said it. Yeah. Trump said it. That's the only evidence they've got. That's not even a fact. It's just that's their piece of evidence. He's made the accusation. Therefore, it must be. And so you've got a huge swath of mainly conservative Republicans that are buying into that with zero evidence. In fact, an abundance of evidence to the contrary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. That's the era we live in. I mean, it's just it's it's insanity. I mean, it's like those people that showed up last week to Dallas to wait on the emergence of John F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I, there were hundreds of people there. There were hundreds of people there at the, waiting in Dallas for this guy to return because of this nonsense that they read on the Internet. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. just I, I don't I don't know, man. It, it's a, it's very it's a it, it's a disturbing time, uh, you know, that that people could be so easily misled um, that the way that they are. Um, and, and you can't even have conversations with them because they know, they know, I think at a point, uh, in a, in a rational conversation with people, when you start asking them, you know, pretty basic questions, they, they know that they've, that this doesn't make any sense, you know, mm-hmm. and, and what they're, what they're saying is just nonsense that they've read on the internet and there's no support for it. But, you know, here we are, uh, so we're probably going to run up on a million people, uh, to have died from this virus in, in about two years. Hmm. Um, and you know, we're already past 750,000. And if there's another, uh, if we have another spike, you know, as a lot of people kind of expect in, in wintertime, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll probably approach maybe a, about a million people to have died from this. And, hmm. and, uh, you know, and it's, that's just a fact. That's yeah. just the fact of it. Be- and, uh, be- before we have to go to break, I want to, I want to ask you a question because I've sure. been wondering about this and I, I try to bounce it off of people when I can. I assumed that with the start of college football season, mm-hmm. there was going to be a huge spike. Yeah, and it hasn't happened. Yep. And I wonder what I, I wonder what the cause of that is. And I, I wonder. I don't know. Maybe you've heard, uh, or maybe our our producer has heard whether or yeah. not there have been any studies on this. But somebody ought to be looking into why that hasn't happened and what yeah, and what I- we can learn from that. I, I the only thing that I can uh, that I can think is that it it has to do with the outdoor nature of those games, uh, you know, where and, and because they, there were a lot of studies early on that talked about how how hard it was to transmit this virus outdoors, mm-hmm. um, and so maybe even packed in together the way that we are in those uh, in those things, maybe that is the case, uh, you know, I, and you know, combine that with the vaccination rates of around you know fifty percent of the population. And uh, and also with a, a a fair, I would say, you know, a college football game is is typically a fairly healthy group of people, uh, younger people that are there. So maybe we have had some spread. And we just don't know it in some cases. Mm. Uh, but uh, you're right. I mean, there there's certainly been no no big outbreaks and colleges have continued to test fairly regularly for uh, for the virus. And so you would think that if we were going to spot it somewhere, we would do it on college campuses. And, and it just they just haven't been the outbreaks uh, like we so, have. In- 
so let me add this quickly to the to the conversation. Yeah. The NBA season has begun. College mm-hmm. basketball is going to be starting, I think, soon, if it hasn't already started. Yeah. Um, I'm an avid NBA, NBA guy, and so yeah. I watch games all the time, and I see stadiums full of people. Yeah. Some of them are masked, but not all of them are. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm looking for the outbreak. Yeah. So far, uh, nothing. So nothing. Yeah. So we had the same thing last year, you know, when we had the NBA arenas back back full and um yeah. some some were some you're right, some places were LA and a lot of places that they were they required the mask, but other places, Utah, I know for uh, uh they did not require masks in in the arena and and a lot of people weren't masked. And so and they still didn't have the the outbreaks. Um and so I don't know, man. I honestly I I, I don't know what the answer is with that, uh, you know, and and but I'll say this, it leaves me with a lot of hope that what we're going to get to is a situation where this becomes about like the flu, where it's out there. You can get your flu shot, uh, you know, and kind of and kind of avoid it uh, or the worst of it anyways. And, and you know, and live with it. Uh, you know, it's something that's just around society and, and we, we make it. And I think we're approaching that point from what I've read recently uh, mm-hmm. on this where, uh, you know, it's, it's going to transition to that sort of a thing. And and I, I hope that's the case. Well, yep. good for us if it is, because yeah. that's what we need. Oh, yeah. You know, that's absolutely yeah, stop, what we need. Stop all this mask wearing stuff. And you know, <laughs> you know how I feel about that. So. Yeah. Well, you and me both. I hate it, man. Oh, I hate God, it. I hate it more than necessary I, evil, though. I know. I know. I know it's just a piece of cloth over my mouth. OK, I know that. But it's still I hate it. So your nose and your mouth, not yeah, just your my mouth. nose. That's right. My nose and my mouth. There you are. And to, just to make sure that it shoots that air straight into my eyeballs. And I walk right. around looking like I've been smoking a bowl of weed all day long. Oh. Oh. All right. We're going to slide out of here. We'll come right back uh, with attorney Philip Ensler in just a minute. Back in a sec. The power brokers that determine who gets the shiny campaign set up and who doesn't um, is kind of an old boys club. And we didn't want to have to turn those clients away because they couldn't afford the big consultant minimums to hire a pricey consulting firm. So we created Turn It Blue Digital to give down ballot candidates an option um, and give them a way to look like they know what they're doing, even if they don't always feel like it. Well, uh, talk about uh, some of the options. Like, uh, give, give people an example of, of what you could do. If, if they wanted to run for, you know, the county commission or they wanted to run for, for you know, a state house seat. Right. So the first thing we would do is um, get them started with a launch kit. So this is everything a candidate needs to look um, professional online, to have everything set up and running smoothly. Um, one of my other favorite projects we've been working on, we just rebuilt this platform from the ground up, um, is a ad buying platform. So you can go in in 15 minutes for $500 and run your own display ads, run your own video ads, um, and even run your connected TV. Um, so your Peacock, your Hulu, that kind of stuff. How do people get in touch with you? How do, how do they find out what you're all about and, and see the pricing and get signed up? Yep. So we are at turnitbluedigital.com. Um, you can tweet me SC Clayton five. Um, you can email me Beth at turnitbluedigital.com. Um, but turnitbluedigital.com is the best way to, to submit that inquiry form and get started. 
All righty. Welcome back. Alabama politics this week. Josh Moon, David Person. We are happy now to have with us attorney Philip Insler, uh, uh, private attorney now with uh, in the city of Montgomery, uh, was at one time uh, with with the city, with Mayor Reed's office uh, uh, as an advisor, if I'm not mistaken, or consultant. Um, and uh, but Philip, well, thanks for thanks for being here with us. And you can kind of address however I screwed that up right there. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, you 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 uh, got it close enough. But yeah, my my uh, position with the city was senior policy advisor to the mayor, um, and and right that meant I worked on a whole range of of local ordinances and and programs, everything from education uh, to criminal justice to the non discrimination ordinance. Um, but hey, titles are just titles. It's it's about the work that you do. Sure, sure, sure. But, uh, but in speaking of the work that you did, um, which is the reason why we're talking to you now, um, one one of those things was, um, I guess, eventually led to uh, recognizing Claudette Colvin and um, and then up to trying to get her old record expunged uh, from the time that when she was arrested. And for, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, Claudette Colvin, and we, we've talked about this before, but Claudette Colvin was the uh, original Rosa Parks, basically. Uh, she was uh, kicked off a bus, arrested the whole nine yards, uh, and was going to be the, the focal point of, of a boycott there uh, at, at, in Montgomery, except for the fact she became pregnant uh she says through a statutory rape, um, and they decided to go with uh, to to not pursue it at that point because they did not feel as though uh, the black churches would have been uh, as sympathetic to her, no matter her plight, no matter how that came about. It was very unfortunate, and I think everybody feels pretty bad for Miss Colvin. Uh, but um, you know, she uh, at that time still has that record uh, for a juvenile record, and you came in to uh, I guess. To, to try to help her get that explained. I guess just to, don't let me ramble on anymore. You tell us exactly what happened and how, how this came to be. Yeah. So um, backtracking bigger picture, uh, there's a, a community leader named Cassandra Sanders uh, who lives in the King Hill neighborhood where Miss Colvin was originally or is originally from. And in the last few years, at least Miss Sanders has been uh, leading the effort to every year on the anniversary of Ms. Colvin's arrest, have a commemoration at City Hall. Uh, she's done a, a cleanup uh, every year at, at Ms. Colvin's childhood home and has been a part of the efforts as well to, to more recently have a mural painted for Ms. Colvin in King Hill. So early on in, in earlier on this year, leading up to that anniversary of the arrest, I had reached out to Ms. Sanders on behalf of the mayor, uh, who very much wanted to make sure the city was going to appropriately honor her uh, this year. And that started a series of conversations about could the mayor pardon her? Is there other legal remedies out there? And at that point, another community member, Ms. Wanda Battle, uh, who, who does tours at Dexter Avenue Church, mm -hmm. came a part of it. And, and she's very close with uh, Ms. Colvin's sister. So we had many, many conversations between um, those three women and myself, and, and it just opened up this whole, um, you know, kind of going down the, 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 you know, annals of history to figure out what was done or not done as far as, as really clearing Ms. Colvin's name um, because the case, because she was a juvenile and the mm -hmm. case was, was adjudicated in, in family court. Uh, the mayor did not have authority to do any sort of pardon. 
so at that point though, I was so invested in it, um, and continued speaking with that group. And then when I, I left the mayor's office, um, a little under two months ago to, to take on a role with a, a nonprofit here in Montgomery, I continued working with that group and we brought in another lawyer, um, uh, Gar Bloom out of Tuscaloosa and then a former coworker of mine, Leah Nelson at, at Alabama Appleseed. Um, and, and as a team, we all worked on figuring out, well, her record was never expunged and, uh, let's go to family court and, and file that motion. What? Well, um, guess what? Um, and, and by the way, Leah Nelson, we, we've had on a uh, fr- friend of the show. Um, and, you know, it's um, what how how is that possible that through all of this? I, I guess, first of all, what was the charge? What was she charged with? And how is it possible that this thing still remains on her record after this period of time? So she was originally charged with with three things. One was violating Montgomery's uh, bus segregation law. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one was disturbing the peace, and then the third charge, which is the one that that stuck, was quote unquote assaulting an officer. And mm-hmm. um, you know that at, at that point in time, you know, could have been as simple as that. While they were dragging her off the bus, and I've given this this example. You know, they could have charged her with assaulting an officer for her her fingernail, you know, scraping the yes. uniform while they were putting her in handcuffs. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, understandably, in a moment like that, though, right, a 15 year old, uh, you know, it took a really courageous, you know, did something very bold in that moment. And then all of a sudden you have the police and she's talked about this. I mean, that became very terrifying very quickly. Um, you know, it's, it's, can be scary enough today at times, at, you know, having the, the police, uh, arrest, mm-hmm. especially at that time. Um, you know, so even if she was, uh, you know, there was some movement, uh, you know, assaulting an officer, no, but, but that's mm-hmm. what she was, the charge that stuck and the court put her on indefinite probation. So to her and her family, they took that to mean literally what it, it sounds like indefinite meaning until told otherwise, what she wasn't told was that family court only had jurisdiction to put someone on probation until they reached of legal age. Mm-hmm. So once she became a, an adult in the eyes of the court, that probation technically wasn't still in effect, but the court never told her that, um, you know, no one ever explained that to her or her family. So for all of these years, she has been living thinking that she was on indefinite probation. <laughs> um, the, our, the, the reason why we think that, that that was never cleared up was that her case was, was consolidated along with several others um, that became the Browder v. Gale case that ultimately desegregated Montgomery public buses and ended the, the boycott. And what happened, though, was that even though legally that ended segregation, there wasn't an effort to go back and look at the individual convictions of those who were charged, um, you know, for their their involvement in the, the boycott or protest. And that's why, right, all these years later, there just had never been that effort to go um, clear her name. So what we did was, was file a motion to expunge her record, which is just a fancy way of saying that the court will, uh, you know, formally clear her name, formally say, we're taking it off the books, you know, your conviction is, is no longer hovering over you anymore. Right. So Philip, um, my understanding is that Ms. Coven, uh, lived with, in addition to what you're saying, she actually lived with a very real fear 
that if she was accused of committing a crime, even even a misdemeanor, that in Montgomery, that it could result in imprisonment because of this, um, because of, or arrest, arrest and or imprisonment because of this. Um, this, what was on her record. I mean, is, is, is that your understanding that she lived with that fear? And so that kept her away from Montgomery, uh, as much as she could have perhaps visited, you know, maybe more often. Yeah. And the reason why she, she left Montgomery when she was 20 years old was that in trying to find work here, that she, and she talks about it this way. She was always labeled as quote unquote, that girl from the bus. Um, and there probably were other racial, um, you know, expletives that were used in addition to saying that girl. And mm-hmm. so anywhere she went here, she, and she talked about this, um, when we, we wrote up an affidavit to, to file in court. I mean, she said that she didn't, you know, she could have been working as, as, uh, a housekeeper for a, a white family in Montgomery. And she was afraid that all it took was, you know, one of their relatives knowing that she was working in their house and that that person would come and, and at worst, you know, rape or kill her just because of, of her involvement. So she very much lived with that fear. Um, she was, was labeled and had that stigma, um, you know, here in Montgomery. So that's why she moved to New York. And then, right. Every time she came back to visit family here, she being who she is was very bold and, and fearless but her family was terrified. I mean, and, and and they talked about this and she talked about that recently that every time she came, if they saw a police car, right, they thought all it would take was them snatching her up and, and that would be um, devastating. So all of these years, they, they couldn't even enjoy just family time together without that that overwhelming fear that she was, uh, you know, still under the watchful eye of, of the police. You know, I, 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 I felt I asked you that question, Philip, because I believe based on my own family history as a black man in America, that there are a lot of black people uh, who are probably 70, 80 plus years old who have had to live with this specter of uh, the past and of having had to leave towns either because uh, of fears that were real or imagined, um, because of the way white supremacy was in effect uh, during the civil rights era and the pre-civil rights era. And I suspect that Ms. Colvin is, is just one of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of black people who left the South either out of fear for their lives and safety or because their activism or just their, of how they were perceived, uh, made them, uh, made their stay in the South dangerous. Uh, Somebody ought to do a study on that or do some research on that. Uh, but anyway, I have another question to ask you, and that's about uh, and maybe it's 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 part of the context for what I just said, uh, but it's about why you left the mayor's office. Um, the Montgomery Advertiser in its piece said that your move to leave the mayor's office was spurred by a recent surge in white supremacy and anti-Semitism. Can you talk about that? What what your perception is of this 
recent surge in these two uh, forms of evil? Sure, and, and let me just just real quick on the the point you made about you know uh, all the people that that fled and lived in that fear. I, I was just talking yesterday to someone about you know generational trauma and how even genetically that can be passed down, and just thinking about um, right how many how many people have had that in their DNA now, uh, right, which is a whole other. Uh, subject to take on though, and think about how that's impacted people. Um, but yeah, I, I uh, am born and raised Jewish, and 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 very proud of that. And in recent years, uh, and and it really was typified uh, on January sixth. Uh, you know, at, at the Capitol in D.C. I mean, seeing people wearing shirts that saying six million, you know, wasn't enough. Meaning six million Jews killed in the Holocaust. Um, you know, seeing people there carrying the, the Confederate flag, um, you know, that really shook me as it did. I know, you know, millions of, of people throughout the country to see, um, you know, how overtly, um, you know, how overt the, the, the discrimination and racism still is. And, and right, even, you know, with Charlottesville um, and that being, you know, in the news again recently, and then just, you know, the numbers don't lie. I, I know there are some people in our country who, who don't really <laughs> look at the facts, but, but you know, the FBI does every year, you know, the, the hate crime statistics um, and attacks on, on, you know, Jewish people and on racial minorities has, you know, increased. And so in, in that sense, you know, yes, I am outwardly uh, a white male who has who in, enjoyed all the privileges of that. And, and I'm very mindful of that. But as someone who's Jewish um, and, and seeing that there are still people that want to literally kill Jews, those same people, right, are filled with, with that sense of, of that um, to hold on to the past and they need to hold on to that, that white supremacist past. So, you know, leaving the mayor's office, I, I, I knew I would be leaving being involved in, in a lot of key decisions uh, for local government, but I, I just felt a sense that right now that, you know, there's a, I'll say this last part about it, you know, there, there's a, a saying not to grant Hitler a posthumous victory. And, and by that meaning that we can't take for granted that that all was in the past and that every day we need to continue to defy that, you know, through creating a more tolerant, more loving society of, of all people. So at this point in time, right, I, I just felt that I can speak out more and do a little bit more in this capacity at, at the Jewish Federation and really, you know, help build even more coalitions and bridges between, um, you know, Jewish community, black community, Latino, uh, LGBTQ plus, um, you know, immigrants. Because at the end of the day, right, the people that hate me because I'm Jewish, hate you because you're black and hate someone because they're an immigrant. And, and if we stay as corny as it sounds, if, if we unify and stand together, you know, we can defy that. That's great. Josh, if I could just uh, sure. real quick uh, addendum or, or, or part B question, uh, which really ties into what Philip just said. Um, I'm glad to hear you talk about alliances. So what's your assessment of where things stand in creating this alliance between uh, blacks and Jews and LGBTQ and immigrants and others. Uh, and I'll just say as a, as a contextual backdrop for that question, uh, 
in the civil rights movement, uh, the black Jewish connection was crucial. It was crucial. And I don't see a lot of uh, conversation or talk about that these days. And I kind of wonder what's happened to that. Uh, so if you can, maybe you can sort of, in your answer, maybe even wrap, wrap something in about that as well. And, and I, I think that there is very much a need to intentionally go about fostering those relationships. And, and there at times, you know, and, and this goes you know, throughout different faiths and, and you know, demographics um, in Montgomery and even in the country, there are these what on the surface are, are unity events and people come together for a multi-faith service or they come together to, uh, you know, donate to a soup kitchen. And, and that stuff is great. But what I have found is that people then often go back to their respective, you know, silos and there's not you know, that literally being in each other's homes. There is not you know, breaking bread together and having as much of those genuine you know, friendships and trusts that go beyond just some of the communal stuff. Um, so I, I, I say that to say that as far as alliances that, yes, there needs, I think, needs to be more public forums and, and efforts to have coalitions, but also on a more intimate level, it's, it's up to individuals to, to choose and decide, you know, the friendships and relationships that, that they're pursuing. But, you know, we have to be willing to do that and be willing to, to right, speak up and, and realize that you know, we, we are in this together. You know, I, I, I think that kind of gets us to something that I wanted to ask you about, uh, because I know that that you're not really stopping with with Claudette Colvin. Um, and because there are others like her who have records that have existed for these uh, many years uh, that they too have been afraid of, of police. Every time a, a police car has driven down the street, they have, they have lived in some fear of that. And, and I think that it also has helped to, um, you know, in addition to the, the police action and the way that, that uh, things have, have continued to transpire over the course of, of the country's history. Uh, in addition to that, these fears have, have kind of also played into the police uh, minority community relationships or lack of thereof. Um, but what, what do you plan uh, for these folks here uh, that, that also have records and also would like to see, or their family members who would like to see their, the, the records of their, uh, the civil rights heroes and their families expunged. What, what can they do now or what were, are y'all trying to do for them? Yeah, so uh, attorney Fred Gray, who was Claudette's uh, original attorney and then Dr. King's attorney and Rosa Parks, uh, you know, he has said this and has asked that, right, for Dr. King's conviction from the boycott um, and for others that, that, you know, there be an effort to look into those. And since Claudette's story got out there, you know, I've been getting Facebook messages and emails from people who are asking so, you know, what about my relative or what about, you know, uh, somebody that they know of? So what I've been doing uh, is uh, starting to have conversations with the, the state and local NAACP um, and thinking about how do we put together a process that includes law students, uh, volunteer lawyers, um, and then community groups to allow anybody that wants to come forward to, and we'll, we'll have a, a, a process um, where people submit, 
you know, a little bit of information. And then we have the ideas that we would have a team of the law students and volunteer lawyers, you know, really start to look into it and figure out, right, is there an expungement that can be done? Is there a pardon? Um, there is a state statute, the Rosa Parks Act, where there is a process to go through uh, the Bureau uh, of Pardons and Parole uh, for certain convictions related to Jim Crow laws. So it will take some effort to figure out on a case-by-case basis, but you know, to the extent that, that that can provide people that are still alive or their family members with a, a sense of, of justice, um, you know, we very much want to put together this process. Of course, you know, it will be all volunteer-based, and I really hope that that can provide some healing and and just really, um, you know, have people feel that that finally the state of Alabama, uh, you know, and, and governmental entities are, are doing the right thing in in you know clearing their record. Yeah, I mean, it'd be it'd be helpful if, in addition to that, they'd also stop trying to stop people from voting. But uh, you know, it would uh, you know, which was, I believe, the initial problem to begin with, uh, and still we're dealing with this. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it, it is. You know, I, it, it it's always kind of been strange to me that um, that we've held on to these laws uh, or the 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 records of these laws for so long, and it required uh, the Rosa Parks Act and some other things to. to kind of get rid of them for, for a lot of people. And, and then the other, the other kind of curious thing to me is that a lot of the times people didn't want to get rid of them. Uh, they wanted those, those records to stay. What, why, what's the, what's the thinking behind wanting the records to stay? So my understanding from, from a few people that, um, you know, one, like with Dr. King, you know, he didn't pay uh-huh. fine because it was right. It was an unjust law. And of course we all know the, the saying, I, I won't butcher it. Like, like Aaron Rodgers did recently, which is just, you know, uh, a whole yeah. other mind blowing thing, but anyway, right. So I, I think for some, it was this badge of honor of, right. You know, we, we defied an unjust law um, mm-hmm. and therefore we, we want to, you know, uh, keep the conviction. But I think as far as some of the, and tell me if I'm misunderstanding, but the actual, you know, records, um, you know, was having just a, a paper trail and having just right. posterity purposes to show that that happened. Now I'd, I have to say this, bringing that up, there is a big difference between that and Confederate <laughs> memorials. So people <laughs> know, well, look, you want to preserve history on one hand, but not on the other. Well, no, we're preserving yeah. history to go back to the point we're talking about of white supremacy and persecution, you have to have that record to show that 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 happened. Um, And that's very different though than right. Memorializing the people who uh, perpetuated those acts. Yeah. Yeah. We're not erecting the statue of the police officer that arrested Rosa Parks in the, in the town square, uh, you know, uh, which is, which is more along the lines of the, uh, the Confederate monuments argument. But now it's a, you know, it's such a uh, an awful time, but it is it's nice to see, you know, the people at least going back and, and attempting to rectify this before uh, at least some of these folks pass away. Um, you know, and, and I've known I, I've interviewed Claudette Colvin way, way back um, and 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 her family and some of Rosa Parks family and some of the uh, the people that are that are still around. I've, I've known Fred Gray for for a long, long time now, and is one of my favorite humans on the planet. Um, and uh, it's, you know, these people made America. 
what it is now. I mean, they, they truly, truly did. They, they made America what it is today. Um, and, and I mean, it's a good thing what you're doing. It really, really is. It is a, it is a really, really good thing. And, and by the way, uh, it, it, just to mention this, uh, uh, Philip does this pro bono. So he's not charging anybody for any of this. Mm. Um, so, you know, if y'all want to send Philip some money, go and send him. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and he's not asking for that either, but I did. You know what? Send it to me. Uh, and I've done nothing. Uh, but no, it's, uh, it really, he does it pro bono. And, and it's a, it, it is a, it's a great thing that, that you've done. And, and I want to ask you this. Um, you got into this. And this is the last thing we'll get you out of here unless David has something else. But you got into this through the city of Montgomery. Um, and, and because Mayor Reed wanted to, to make sure that, that Colvin was, was honored in some way because Rosa Parks was going to be honored and Claudette Colvin needed to be honored as well, uh, in this. I wrote that, that, you know, I don't think those sorts of things happen unless you have a person at the top with that perspective of things that you've, you've now changed the perspective of Montgomery to a man, a, a black man who, who knows this history and understands kind of the plight of a lot of people in that city and can, can go about rectifying some things that other people may not have even known was wrong. And I wonder if that's, if I'm, am I wrong about that? Or is that something that you felt while you were working there? Right. And and that, and I'm glad you make that point because right. it, It, it really is a change in, in leadership here and, and to have um, this coincided with, with the effort to, not the effort, but the, the changing of West Jeff Davis to, you know, Bradbury Avenue, that, right, it, it easily could have been, well, right, let's just do what we have been doing, commemorate them at a city council meeting, do the things that are, you know, still good and noble, but, but not as difficult. So, right, I, I think that change in, in perspective and you know, I know that the mayor has spoken about this and, and I'll you know echo this point that you know we're very well aware that expunging the record or changing the name of the street as important as that is that right it doesn't change all the underlying economic injustices and disparities that still exist it doesn't magically mean that our, our public schools um you know are are, are what they getting the resources and support that that they need, but I do think that right this starts to 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 move things forward in a way where we were able to look at it and say, well, we now did this is the bare minimum of doing what's mm-hmm. right, but now let, let's keep building off of that to address all of the lingering disparities that that exist because of of those original injustices, and and that's my hope that with, with some of this, especially for young people that they're motivated by, by Ms. Colvin, that they're motivated by Attorney Gray and take on you know, the next fight and the effort today to really continue to uplift and, and empower communities that, that were intentionally left behind. Yeah, the only, the only thing I would add, Josh, is that symbols matter. And so, uh, you know, I think anything that, whether it's the changing of the name of a street or the expunging of a uh, bogus criminal record. Um, I think all of that matters in terms of what we communicate to the f- to present and the future about what kind of society we want to have, what kind of community we want to have. So, Philip, I, I just want to commend you for your work and what you're doing and what I believe 
you will continue to do. And I'm, I'm glad that you're here in this state fighting the good fight. Well, that, that means a lot. And um, I'm, I feel very fortunate to, to be here and, and, you know, have a community that that's really welcomed me and, and embraced me. And, and I'm grateful for that. Awesome. Well, yeah, I think that, I think there's a reason why they're 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 welcoming and embracing you, and and man, I hope you you keep it up and uh, and keep fighting there. And uh, if you if we can be of any help here, you let us know. And uh, but otherwise, man, we really appreciate you coming on and spending some time. I know you're busy. For sure. No, thank you. And yeah, sorry I was a, a little bit late, um, but but appreciate that. <laughs> oh, no sorry. problem at all. We we got you in. We, we record all this. We're always late, so it's not a big deal. Uh, <laughs> all right. That is uh, Attorney Philip Ensler. We really appreciate him coming on and, and spending some time with us. And, and really, if uh, y'all, y'all help him out and, and support whatever you can to, to change that community in, uh, in Montgomery or your community locally um, and, and you know, be more inclusive with people. It's uh, It always works out a little better when everybody's not running around hating each other. Exactly. So we're going to slide out of here for just a minute. Uh, back in a moment, Alabama politics. This week. Hey, everybody. Just wanted to remind you, if you would, take a moment and go to your favorite podcast destination and leave us a nice review, if you would. Uh, Also, don't forget to rate us if you get a chance. Uh, That would really, really help us out a whole lot here. And, uh, you know, maybe we can earn some money off this thing every now and then. Thanks a lot, guys. Alrighty, welcome back, uh, Alabama politics this week. Uh, thanks for uh, Philip Ensler for for coming on uh, and yeah. uh, and sharing that. That's uh, it'll be interesting to see how all that turns out. And I, um, uh, before we move along here, I, I, I want I do want to remind everybody if you want to uh, send us a note or uh, an email or have a question about anything, uh, APW producer at gmail dot com. That's APW producer at gmail.com uh shoot us something uh ask us some questions and we'll uh, we'll get to them uh and uh, and answer whatever you got um all right uh so let's let's see what let's do let's go to first our our uh our esteemed legislators uh in this state our our republican overlords uh here who have um who all voted against this infrastructure bill uh, passed, except for Richard Shelby. I'll say Richard Shelby. Richard Shelby did uh, voted for it in the Senate. Um, Terry Sewell voted for it in the House. Everybody else, everybody else in the House, everybody else in the Senate, which would be Tommy Tuberville, uh, they voted against this. And now I look forward to the never-ending flow of press releases from these people announcing how proud they are to be at the ribbon-cutting for X thing that is going to be paid for by the billions of dollars that's going to come uh, to this state from from this $1.2 trillion infrastructure plan passed by the Biden administration. Yeah, well, it's the game that politicians play. You know, we know that. Um, and and I have to say, um, you know, I think all of them, all of them know better. Uh, but they are afraid of the voting base. And, and I would argue that, you know, we're at an interesting point in political history where, and this sort of ties into what we were talking about before uh, our guest came on, um, you know, 
these these Republican elected officials are allowing themselves to be bullied by their voters. They should be leading their voters. They should be educating them. Uh, they should be taking the lead in setting the tone when it comes to things like this, because they know better. They know that the infrastructure bill contains allocations that are going to benefit communities around this country mm-hmm. and that are going to provide solid footing for uh, many people and many families. Mm-hmm. But they are, but what they are doing is they are pandering to and placating this extreme right wing of the Republican Party. And I think either you or Bill talked about that in your columns, mm-hmm. uh, that that seems hell bent on, uh, you know, turning what should be an exercise in good government mm-hmm. into just culture war battles. So now the litmus test, the litmus test for Republicans, you know, is not. How conservative are you fiscally and how much are you pro-business or how much are you anti-taxes? But it's, you know, where do you where do you fit into on uh, these culture wars and, and how anti the Democratic Party are you? Mm-hmm. And so that then necessitates voting against your interests. So, yeah, you know, it's a Biden administration bill. Oh, well, we just have to vote against it then. You know, because we, we got a, what is it? The, what's the, the phrase they use? Stick it to the libs, I think is what oh, yeah. it is. Yeah, own the libs. You got to own the libs. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think I think I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. Okay. Um, and, and, and I'm in this regard, I, I don't think this is a reactionary uh, situation by the people uh, at the, at the top of this, of the political food chain. Okay. I think this is a strategic um, maneuver, I guess. Uh, 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 this is their strategy. Uh, this is what they have done. They have, they have cultivated this attitude. They have, uh, because I, I don't think that the average person, if you tell them, well, we're gonna we're gonna have this infrastructure plan here, and we're going to fix the broadband situation, which we all know is terrible because you know look, look at the broadband around these places. So we we know our roads and our bridges are in pretty bad shape, and we need to fix a lot of those things. So we're gonna we're gonna devote millions and millions and billions actually of dollars to this state's infrastructure issues, and 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 doing so, we're also going to employ thousands of Alabamians and and dump money into Alabama companies that's going to flow back into Alabama communities and and support uh, the entire state uh, along this way. I don't think the average Alabamian has really any understanding of, of a lot of that. But what they do see is, and what and here's where they're winning on this is they've made it into a liberal agenda uh, to, uh, to for socialism. All right, and now your your average. I bet on, on an average block in this in this uh, of fifteen houses uh, here, uh, ten of them could not tell you what socialism actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we that I think that sort of thing has been cultivated by the politicians themselves because it's easier to do that than it is to actually govern, and it is. And you see that by the fact that the Republican Party no longer has any policies. About anything, 
They don't have any policy suggestions on anything at all. They have no idea about the economy. They have no idea about immigration. They have no idea about infrastructure. Hell, they tried to pass this very same bill and couldn't do it. Um, you know, and so that's where I think they're trying to win is they know they can't do this. They can't govern. So the only thing they can do are create these bullshit social wars over book burning and, you know, and everything else, which, by the way, is something that's actually taking place now. They're, bur- they're, they're getting rid of books. They're banning books in schools now. Uh, stuff we've all read. They're, they're banning them. Um, mm-hmm. and, and because white kids are upset. Uh, 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 yeah. There's words on a page. Uh, and it's just, you know, I mean, and so that to me, it's not, it's not their reaction to these people. Uh-huh. They're, they're turning those people into those people. Mm. Okay. So chicken and egg argument, um, <laughs> I think, and I, and I, and I, I get what you're saying. And I think, uh-huh. I think there's, I think it's, it's probably, uh, I think it's probably closer to what you're saying than what I'm saying as I've listened to you kind of spell it out. But I do believe that there is a there is a small contingent and I call them voters. I probably shouldn't call them voters. I should probably call them influencers, people that are uh, adjacent to the political system, maybe Mm -hmm. overlap with the political system to some degree, but they're not really elected officials by and large. I think these are, these are your Steve Bannon types and your think Mm -hmm. tank types and these other people, you know, your Stephen Miller types, uh, your Alec types that are, I think, shaping that dialogue. So they're, they're ginning it up with both, I think, the politicians and the voting populace, the GOP voting populace. And, 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 and that's where I think it emanates from. But I think you're right that, that the politicians sort of follow this agenda that comes from that, that little, uh, I'll say that little uh, uh, conspiratorial hub inside mm-hmm. the party. And then they, they foment that among the voters, because you're right, it's easier to do that than to do the hard work of governing. Well, and, and in, in, in addition to that, because, they all, you know, I, I think that it's right about that, about not being able to do the hard work. I also think that it's also greed uh, that drives a lot of it. And mm-hmm. there's no way if you look objectively at, at Republican ideas uh, for the economy, for example, there's no way that the average person walking around the streets today that goes to get up and go, goes to work every day. Uh, and, you know, those, those people, there's no way those people would vote for that dumb shit on, on their own. All right. There's mm-hmm. no way that you would vote for trickle down economics right. um, on its face. You know, <clears throat> there's no way you would vote against unions on its face. You know, if you're just a basic worker going out somewhere, there's mm-hmm. no way that you would do that. So you need this other nonsense, this other fluff in, involved in this to fool those people into voting for you to be able to keep all of the money all of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and so that's, I mean, look at what we've done to, to people through these social wars uh, on this stuff and, and by you know, turning, you know, weaponizing abortion and, um, you know, 
socialism and everything else, and which, by the way, we all love socialism until it's somebody else getting something, then we right. don't like that. Um, right. You know, if it's if it's our roads and our schools and our police force and our uh, things that we're getting, uh, oh well, then socialism is fantastic. Our social uh, but, security, yeah, our Medicare, our Medicaid, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But if it's you know some poor person, you know, why aren't they at work? Um, you know, so uh, it's you know, and that's. That's the mindset of of selfishness and greed that has been cultivated in the Republican Party. Uh, mm. And that is true. I mean, it is there. There is no other explanation for these things other than that. And they know it. Um, they You can look at it and see it has never worked. The, the cutting taxes for the rich has never, ever worked. Uh, you know, you can point to Reagan all you want to. But Reagan, the only reason it worked for a period of time under Reagan is because we were so good at paying down the debt prior to Reagan that he could run it up there. Mm. And then what happened? Uh, we had you, you got elected. You had to elect Bill Clinton to solve the whole problem. Mm. Uh, and so that's what I'm saying is it, it, it just these people know what they're doing with this. Uh, here, you know, say, uh, is, do we get a? You're right. The the chicken and the egg uh, argument. Do, do they reverse places at, at times? And is that happening some in the state of Alabama right now? Yes, uh, there are some people who are being forced to the edge in this state specifically because we're a one party state. Uh, but outside of here, shit, mm-hmm. man, this is just this is what they've been pushing forever because it works for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't have a policy idea in their brain to help a guy working a nine to five job. They don't mm-hmm. have they don't have it. They don't have it. They've never yeah. had it and they never will have it. Well, their their party is not built for that. I mean, at least at least as it currently exists, you know, it's not built yeah. for that. And, you know, you could even argue going back 40, 50 years, it wasn't built for it. But even more so now. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, this is a party that thinks it's perfectly fine. Talking about the Republican Party that thinks it's mm-hmm. perfectly fine for CEOs to make, you know, 30, 40, 50 or more times what the average worker makes. And they and they think that that's that's no problem, which, you know, of course, is very problematic uh, just from a basic economic standpoint. And I would argue from a moral standpoint. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, you, you can't have an equitable society and equitable doesn't mean that everybody in my mind doesn't mean that everybody's supposed to have the exact same thing that everybody else does. No, but everybody should have the same opportunity to thrive and to grow. And there ought to be a, a bottom. There ought to be a, mm-hmm. a floor for uh, for basic existence, yes. you know, so that, you know, for example, down in Lowndes County, it shouldn't be acceptable. You know, we got the Justice Department now that's going to investigate uh, what's going on with the Alabama Department of Public Health in Lowndes County. Yes. It should not be acceptable for people in Lowndes County, hardworking people, to not be able to live above a standard of living that only allows for them to straight pipe mm. sewage out of their homes onto their backyards or their side yards. Yeah. That should absolutely not be acceptable. No. And yet, for far too many years in this state, it has been. Yeah. There's something wrong with that. 
Wait, and we any know church that. or any rich person who is mm-hmm. content to sleep at night knowing that that exists without doing anything during the daytime to deal with it, there's something wrong with that. Yeah, it's a, you know, and we've known it. We've known it for, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. It's a, you know, we, we, uh, the, the DOJ is now investigating uh, that mm-hmm. in a, as a civil rights issue mm-hmm. uh, uh, because they believe, rightfully, in my opinion, uh, that the state, the Department of Public Health, uh, the Lowndes County uh, Health Department uh, have have ignored this problem based, uh, primarily because it uh, it affected black citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, and that if if something similar uh, had occurred, if there had been one house straight piping sewage out in Mountain Brook, we would have had a hazmat team at that damn place solving that problem a week ago. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so. And that's what I'm saying is it, it, it we've known about this and, and we've known these issues and they don't there, there's no policy for addressing it. Uh, I mean, how many how many studies have been done now? I mean, how many special reports have been filed over the last 10 years about the, the issues with sewage uh, in Lowndes County and throughout the Black Belt area? How many? I mean, it's, it's got to be thousands at this point. I mean, hell, every university in the country's come by and studied that and come up with to the same conclusion that you're you're introducing third world diseases uh, that, that should have been eradicated, you know, decades ago uh, mm-hmm. because of what's happening there. And still, still, after all the billions of dollars that have come flowing through this state from the federal government for a variety of different programs, we couldn't seem to find a few million to go down there and put sewer lines into these places. I mean, mm-hmm. it ain't that hard, y'all. It isn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, if anybody that tells you it's that complicated, they're lying to you because they want to make an excuse for what they've been doing or haven't been doing for the last two decades over this. And yeah. it's just, it's atrocious. Yeah. It, it really is an atrocious uh, deal. And uh, I mean, it, it, uh, it they, they ought to shame everybody, but it's, we look who's in control here, and it isn't a surprise to a single soul anywhere. Not from the top of the Republican Party all the way down uh, to the lowest Democrat. It's not a surprise to anybody that this is taking place under the leadership that we have in this state. And, yeah. And, you know? and the only thing I'll add to that as an addendum, Josh, is that while the current culprits are the Republicans, mm-hmm. uh, there's no question that Democrats are culpable, too. Yes. Uh, you know, and and I'm talking about not only former governors, but but current and former legislators as well there. You know, while there are people who have been concerned about it and I don't want to mm-hmm. be dismissive of them and their concerns because we know there are people who have been concerned about it. There are people who unfortunately have have been elected by people who are Democrats mm-hmm. as well, not just Republicans, who have either turned a blind eye or been in denial about this, yeah. you know, or, or, or certainly not been proactive about it. And so mm-hmm. it's past time for change. And now, unfortunately, once again, it takes the federal government coming in to yeah. tell Alabama to do what Alabama already knows it should have been doing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, you know, one of the one of the people that's that's been working on it and and concerned about it and done some things is Terry Sewell. Um, you know, we're going to talk to her 
or we're going to try to talk to her next week. Uh, it's going to depend on what the vote is on the uh, on the next package uh, from the Biden administration as to whether or not she's going to be able to get on next week or not. But you know, we'll see. Um, you know what? What she, I want to talk to her about this and about the other the effects of some of the other things uh, in the infrastructure bill and in the and uh, the other one that's coming down next week. And uh, you know, I, I just it, it just to me, I mean, it's it's all it all goes kind of hand in hand though with what we were saying. Is it's just. Um, there's a lack of there's a lack of understanding and a, a basic lack of knowledge of how life works for a working person in this state at the at the top levels, um, which I, I don't really understand uh, because a lot of these people that are in our government. They started out as working people, uh, you know, uh, mm. and and achieved a certain level. And it's almost as if they are only there with an interest in either furthering their own wealth or protecting their own wealth. And that's the only thing that they care about at that point is or those two things and not saying to themselves, how can I help other people come up the way that I did? What would have made my path easier and how can I give it to others down mm. there? Uh, you know, and we don't and we don't have enough people who think that way. Um, you know, I think I, I do think we have a lot more. Um, maybe I'm biased, but I do think we have a lot more of those people in the Democratic Party um, than, than we do in the Republican Party. Well, uh, I think here. the evidence is clear. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, you look at the policies and you look at what they're focused on or the lack of policies uh, and. You know, I think that that is that's pretty evident here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can show you thousands of examples of it. Uh, but we're, we're doing we're doing a very poor job right now. And if you forget black, forget white, forget whatever. If you're just a, a, a regular working stiff in this in this state, you're getting hosed, man. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you are. You're getting hosed by your government day in and day out. And you can say, well, I don't need government to do anything for me. Well, that's great. That's a great attitude. But you also don't need government to screw you over. Uh, you know, and to, and to help hold you down. And that's right. what's happening now. And while you're turning down the benefits, other people are getting them. All right. And it mm-hmm. isn't the poor guy down the street that's taking your money. It's the rich guy at the top that's taking mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a great, there's a great cartoon somewhere that, uh, of, of a rich guy that's got a big pile of money sitting in front of him. And then there's a working guy that's got two stacks of money in front of him. And then there's an immigrant, uh, over here, uh, sitting, sitting across the table. And the rich guy is saying to the poor guy, look out, pal. Uh, that immigrants trying to take one of your stacks of money, uh, you know what I mean, and and that is the greatest example yeah. of what we deal with in this state. To me, well, that's uh, an old playbook, man. I mean, that yeah. takes us all the way back to the 1901 Constitution. I mean, that's just the playbook. It's yes. always been that way, you know. Yeah. yeah. All right. We're, we can wrap her up here with this, uh, with our with our right wing nut. Um, and, and our right wing nut goes right in with what we've been saying about the, the lack of policies and, and trying to fool people into thing uh, into into believing just absolute nonsense. Because our right wing uh, nut of the week is Gregory Lamar Nix, 52 mm. of Cleveland, Alabama. And if you've never heard of Mr. Nix, well, uh, you can find his mugshot now uh, online pretty much anywhere because he has been arrested for assaulting a Capitol Police officer with a flagpole mm. during mm. the January 6th insurrection. He also is accused of damaging parts of the U.S. Capitol building. Mm. Uh, so that's our boy. Mm. That is our boy, uh, uh, Gregory Lamar Nix. I believe he is now the seventh Alabamian 
to be arrested uh, for taking part uh, in the uh, failed coup attempt uh, that that took place. Uh, 675 people have now been arrested nationwide hmm. uh, in this. And uh, I, I wonder where Alabama ranks in terms of uh, number of people arrested. You know, I. I, I, I think we I think we went less for quantity and more for quality. Uh, we had the guy that took <laughs> napalm. Uh, uh, we had the guy that's now assaulted somebody for the flagpole. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we were we were looking for quality of arrest, uh, you know, and not necessarily quantity <laughs> of arrest. That's funny. <laughs> what in the world is going on in somebody's head where they think I'm going to take a flagpole that I'm assuming has an American flag on it? At least did, yeah. Uh, you know, and, well, I could have and, had the Confederate flag on it. Well, so that's be, true. You know, that's uh, true. He was from Alabama. That's true. Uh, yeah, it seems like to me he probably would have been probably more likely to revere the Confederate flag than the American one. But either way, whatever the case may be, what in the world is going on in your mind that you think I'm going to be able to do this and then I'm going to return to my regular life? Like there's going to be, I won't run into any problems with law enforcement or the government. Everything is just going to be just fine because what I was doing was perfectly acceptable. It's normal and acceptable for me to try to, to try to participate in an insurrection at the capital of the nation and use a flagpole to assault a cop. That's just mind blowing to me. It's uh, it was a, I mean, it was a, it was a mob. It was a mob of people that were attempting to. And let's not I mean we can sugarcoat things, and you can we can attach big, uh, flowery words to the whole thing. But what they were trying to do is they were trying to overturn and stop the county in a free and fair election that took yep. place. And we now know yep. that through all the audits, hundreds of audits now that have taken place across the country, is it was absolutely free and it was absolutely fair. And there was no fraud uh, to, to any extent that was measurable. Uh, there was nothing that that, uh, that stole the election from anybody or anything mm-hmm. else. Uh, that was a free and fair election. Their guy lost and they were upset about it. And so they went to the Capitol to stop democracy from taking place. Uh, That's it. Is what they were trying to do. Uh, and to, to reinsert their guy. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it was something that happens in third world countries and those people should be arrested and treated as though they were behaving exactly like third world thugs that they are because that's exactly Amen. what they are. And I hope Nick spends a, uh, the rest, you know, as much of a, a large part of the rest of his life in jail is what I hope happens. Uh, and Amen. I hope it's an example for the rest of the country. Amen. All right. On that bright note, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can go about your weekend now because, uh, we're, we're finished. Uh, and, uh, all right, we're gonna slide out of here. Uh, thanks to uh, Philip Enzo for coming on, and thanks to uh, for, to David for coming back. I was, I was of really, course, I was really afraid. I was really afraid. Of so, course, I'm here, man. Right. <laughs> Until I'm not. Yeah, well, all right. That's how we all are, right? That's how we all are. That's why. All right, till next week, y'all be safe out there. Peace. Bye.